Well, good morning, church. My name is Mark, and I've pastored here for about 11 years, preach on most Sundays, and uh, it's my privilege to do that again today. If you're visiting with us today, welcome. Uh, I'd like to get a chance to meet you. Today's probably not the best day because we're having baptisms at the end of the service, and I will be wet and changing clothes after the end of the service. So maybe uh, we can meet uh, another time. I've done something for you if you're a visitor. I've written a devotional for you, and we give these to our visitors, and uh, they're back at our information table, which is right here. They're yours to take free of charge uh, if you're visiting with us today. And if you've been, if you're relatively new to the church, but you've never re- get one of these on your first Sunday or whatever, feel free to take one. It's our gift to you. It's why I wrote them. Uh, we're starting a new sermon series today. We just uh, finished what was it, eight weeks of Next Steps, and Greg Parkman was here to uh, lead you last uh, week. We're starting a series today, and uh, uh, aptly named Caution, and it's taken from Ephesians chapter 5, verse 15. One verse of that that I refer to probably every single Sunday that kind of launches this, and we go in other places of God's Word to find some content for this, but there's a a very specific warning for us, an admonition for us that Paul gives us in the fifth chapter of Ephesians, verse 15. And he writes, be very careful. And he's writing to new Christians that are meeting in Ephesus. And he says, be very careful how you live. And so the caution signs. Be very careful how you live, not as unwise, but as wise. Be very careful. Now, when you see caution signs like this, you don't see the caution signs right at the point of the area that you need to be cautious about. You always see them back a quarter of a mile or a half a mile. So if there's road work ahead and there's a sign that says caution, road work ahead, you don't see that sign at the point of where the road work starts. You see that back a half a mile or a quarter of a mile back so you can take your foot off the gas pedal, you can brake and you can go slow so make sure there's not any problems and, and uh, no one, there's no accident with all the men that are working in the road and all that kind of stuff. If you wait to be cautious, to the point of where you're, there's something there to be cautious about, it's too late. So the caution signs are way back here where there's still nothing to really get freaked out too much about, but if you keep going the way you're going, you're going to have trouble. That's why caution signs are there. It may say caution road closed ahead, and for some reason there's, the road is just closed and you You've, you've got those barricades that won't go. If the sign was right there where the barricades are and you didn't know it, you're going to plow right through those barricades. But the sign is a quarter mile back. It's a half a mile back. So you can make adjustments. So you can make adjustments and be cautious and not get bogged down in the mess that's ahead of you. Caution. And that's the way it is in the Christian life many times. The grace of God through the Spirit of God working through our, con- our conscience will make us cautious about stuff. 
It, it may not even be sin in our life, but there's something that has um, come up in our life. There's something that has happened in our life. There's a thought that's come up in our life that if we let that thought continue to go and go and go, it could be real trouble. But if we grab a hold of that, the Bible says take captive. If we grab a hold of that way back here, a half a mile down the road, we can make the adjustments and be cautious. And don't go headlong into whatever is ahead of us. Now we could go a month, a, a year of Sundays talking about things we need to be careful about in our Christian journeys. And we're going to spend five weeks on this. And I wanted to start this morning is to be very cautious. Be very cautious about bitterness. As you go along the Christian journey and every now and then, maybe you're a better Christian than I am and you don't have these thoughts every now and then, but every now and then you'll have a thought that'll come in your mind and you'll say, well, where'd that thought come from? That wasn't very Christian. Lord, I don't need to think about that. Lord, I don't, I don't need to take that. That thought needs to go, Lord. I don't, even, I don't want to have that thought again. That's the grace of God. Allowing you to be sensitive enough to be very cautious, to be very careful and that thought way back here, uh, uh, a quarter of a mile and a half a mile back from that, the, the difficult territory, that, that thought is, is probably not sin. I don't know why we have those thoughts. Sometimes just weird things pop into our heads. Sometimes maybe the enemy's involved. I don't know. But it's not yet sin. It's just something weird that popped into our head. But it could be very difficult for us if we're not careful, if we're not cautious. And bitterness is one of these. Or you sense something in your spirit, a feeling against another person, and you are not sensitive to the spirit that tells you, hey, 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 you better be cautious about that thought about that other person or whatever it is, and you just let that go and go and go, and you're not cautious and pretty soon you aren't a quarter of a mile a half a mile from it you're mired down in the muck and the mire of all of that and it's tough to get out of it but you could have got out of it way back when when God with your spiritual eyes lets you see that caution sign Hebrews chapter 12 verse 15 the writer of the book of Hebrews says this, it says, see to it that no one, this is a, that's an awesome verse, and awesome I don't mean great, I just mean powerful. See to it that no one falls short, other translations, miss the grace of God. Now that's, I'm not sure 100% I know what that means, but it says, see to it that no one misses, falls short of the grace of God and that no bitter root equates missing the grace of God, equates falling short of the grace of God with bitterness. See to it that no one falls short of the grace of God and that no bitter root grows up to cause trouble because that's what it does. 
and defile many. What's defile many around? Well, that bitterness that takes root in my spirit will affect the people around me. It'll affect the people around me. Be cautious. Be cautious about unresolved anger. Be cautious about unforgiveness. Be cautious when there's something in your spirit that wants to get back at. And anything that comes up in your spirit, you sense a little tinge of that in your spirit. If you sense that, that's the grace of God. That's your conscience. That's the spirit of God showing you that there's a spiritual caution sign there. And you need to be very, very careful here. I don't know what the worst sin is. I'm not at all going to say bitterness is the worst sin. I don't know how anyone would make a judge about the worst sin. I don't see that in the Scripture that, that there is a worst sin. But let me tell you, there are few sins, very few sins, that the consequences of those sins are seriousness are serious as bitterness. There's very, very few sins that the consequences of them are as serious as bitterness. Remember a parable that Jesus told, and I'm going to retell it and put it in my own words, but you remember it, it was, it was, a, it was a, a servant that owed a whole lot of money to, to a master, and the master, and I'm skipping a lot of verses, but a master forgave that whole sum of money, a lot of money, forgave that the servant and the servant went to some other someone else that owed the servant money a little bit of money not very much and and he uh and you know he didn't didn't say this in the scripture but he just proverbially grabbed the person and said give me everything that you owe me and the master that forgave the servant heard about that and he said he threw the servant in jail says man i mean if i forgive you of all of that how in the world can you go to somebody else and not forgive you? If I forgave you of that real big sum, how can in the world can you go and not forgive someone else of a lesser amount? And that whole parable there, remember a parable is a made-up story? It's not a real story. It's a story that Jesus made up to make an illustration. He could have told it any way he wanted to tell it to make the point he wanted to make. And in Matthew 18, he closes that parable. In Matthew 18, verse 35, it says, this is how my heavenly Father will treat you. Now, what's happened at the end of the parable? The master has thrown the servant back in jail because he didn't forgive the other one. So this is a spiritual illustration. And Jesus closes and said, this is how the heavenly Father will treat you unless you forgive your brother or sister from your heart. That's pretty strong, isn't it? We receive grace so we can give grace. Well, I receive grace so I can go to heaven and get forgiven my sins. Well, yeah, but that's, that's not the whole deal. We receive grace so I can extend grace. Matthew 6, 12 is a familiar passage to anyone who's ever repeated the Lord's Prayer and forgive us 
our trespasses, our debts, as we forgive those who have trespassed against us. Friends, um, bitterness is a nasty, nasty thing that if it takes root, will cause great, great damage in your Christian life. I was preparing for this and I read a story of a man who was bitten by a rabid dog. This was back before they had a vaccine that you would give if, that you could be able to take and so the, the, the rabies wouldn't kill you. Rabies still kills you if you don't get the, don't get the shot, but this was before they had the shot. And, and so it was a death sentence. And so basically what the doctor told him to do was to get his affairs in order. And so the guy asked for a pen and paper and started writing out a whole lot. And the doctor comes back in the room and says, well, I'm, I'm glad that you're making out a will. And he goes, will? I'm not making out a will. I'm just making a list of all the people I'm going to bite before I die. That's funny. Or is it? I don't know what the worst sin is, but there's very few sins that the consequences are as dramatic and have as much effect on us physically, emotionally, and spiritually, I hope, I hope um, that that you got this wrapped around your little finger, and this this doesn't apply to you at all. I, I hope, but I know better. And for 26 years that I've been in ministry, including in the last two weeks, I've had to deal with people dealing with unforgiveness about things that happened. caution when you want to get back when you want to take revenge when there's unforgiveness unresolved anger in your spirit see with your spiritual eyes that caution sign Ephesians chapter 4 verses 26 and 27 is a marvelous very practical verse of scripture that says in your anger do not sin it, it doesn't say don't get angry anger is not a sin uh, the way you manifest that anger can be the way that anger plays out can be feelings of anger that come up in my spirit is nothing more than a caution sign be careful careful in your anger do not sin. Do not let the sun go down, which means resolve it. Because once you sleep on it, it gets easier to stick it under the rug. And sticking it under the rug is the problem. Do not let the sun go down while you're angry, and do not let 
the devil get a foot, foothold, which obviously means one way the devil can get into your life is through unresolved anger. It's just like he can get a little foothold into your life. So the little mathematical formula that gives us a little, bit a little bit of instruction about bitterness says that unresolved anger plus time equals bitterness. How much time, Mark? I have no clue. I have no, I have no clue. A week, a month, a year, a decade, I have no clue. Obviously, the longer the time, the more bitter. Unresolved anger, anger that you've allowed the sun to go down on plus time plus weeks plus months plus years adds up to bitterness Christian psychologist by the name of Dr. Frank Minerth said this, this is a strong statement pent up anger is a leading cause of death in America pent-up anger because of the physical problems that it causes because of the physical problems that it causes pent-up anger is a leading cause of death in America Lee Strobel wrote a book on this and one quote that Lee Strobel had in that book he says the medical evidence is clear it's no exaggeration to say that bitterness is a dangerous drug in any dosage and that your health is at risk if you persist didn't heed that caution sign what one of us are so Christian that we we never have a thought of of getting back or never have a of a thought of somehow taking revenge what one of us is so Christian that we never have that little thought but the Spirit's working in us, we heed the caution side, we sign. We do not persist in that unresolved anger and in that unforgiveness. I wish I had time. I was writing this week and I'm writing another devotional, and I was writing on the life of Joseph, Old Testament Joseph. And and that's 11 chapters or 10 or 11 and devoted in the book of Genesis to Joseph and it's a fabulous story and if there's anybody that had justifiable anger or if anybody had reasons to to hold a grudge against other people it would have been Joseph and I don't have time to take you through that story but his brothers were jealous of him and 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 threw him in a pit and left him to die, but then they thought better of it and they sold him off to Egyptian slave traders and, and he ended up in prison and somebody was going to help him out in prison, but then they forgot about him. There's, there's, a, there's a passage in 41 maybe of Genesis that said, and the person was supposed to help him and he remembered Joseph not. And so all this stuff had happened to Joseph, but, but, but by an absolute miracle of the sovereign God, he, and I even hate to say, to say this because if you don't know the story, you're going to say, well, how in the world could that happen? But by absolute miracle, by sovereign God, he gets promoted to the second in command in all of Egypt. It's this 
God's hand was on Joseph because Joseph lived a very God-focused and God-centered life. And, and so here Joseph is now second in command of all of Egypt, and there's a, there's a famine in the land that's going to kill everybody, and Joseph's family had to come to Egypt to find grain, and who did they have to come before to find food? Is they had to come before Joseph. He was in charge of dispersing it all. So his family, his brothers that had thrown him in a pit and then sold him off to Egyptian, Egyptian slavery, they stand before him. And Joseph has the power and authority to, to take their, every single one of them to be able to behead every single one of them. He's got the power and authority to do that. And he says what is a pivotal verse in all of Scripture. It comes at the very end of Joseph's story, Genesis chapter 50, verse 20. So when we talk about how is it that you get past this unforgiveness and get past this bitterness and this unresolved anger in your spirit, there's a little clue to it here. One who had every right, human right, to hold revenge and take action against that, he said uh, to his brothers, you intended to harm me. You intended to harm me. He didn't let him off the hook. He didn't make believe it didn't happen. Have you heard people say something like, Oh, don't worry about it. It's no big deal. Joseph admits it's a big deal. Oh, oh you know, oh, yeah, I forgot about that a long time ago. Don't worry. It, it, what, there are things that have happened to you that were a big deal. Far bigger deals than have happened to me. I've heard some of your stories. Admit it. It was hurtful. You don't know why it happened. And Joseph says, you intended to hurt me. He didn't let his brothers off the hook. You intended to hurt me. But God. I preached a sermon series one time called But God. But God intended it for good. But God intended it for good. To accomplish what is being done today, the savings of, of many lives. And what he meant by that was the saving of people from the famine. Not that God caused everybody to sin, but God somehow used their sin even to get Joseph to where he needed Joseph to be so that Jacob's family would not die and so the lineage of Abraham would continue all the way through the person of Jesus. You intended to harm me. But God... He used it for good. And Paul comes along later in Romans 8, 28 and said, God will take all things and work them together for good. Paul doesn't say all things are good. He doesn't say all things are good. He says God will take those and work them together. The girl that advertised the Bible study of Paris, what she was saying, says you're not defined by your past, but God will take your past to make you who you are today. God will take those things. <laughs> so how do you get through unforgiveness and, and, and work through the bitterness that will absolutely destroy you? And uh, uh, Hebrews 12, 15 will make you miss the grace of God? As you, you come to grips with it, you intended to harm me. You, you, don't, you don't play it didn't happen. But realize how God can take this and somehow 
use it for good. Well, how, Pastor, how in the world is he going to use this for good? I have no clue. You're asking the wrong guy. I have no clue, but he will. He'll take it, and he'll use it for good. It's not good. It's not what he's saying. It's not what you're going through is not good. What that person did to you was not good. The situation is not good, but God will take it, and he'll use it for good. And then you've got to take grace and give grace, and that's what Ephesians 4.32 says. If, 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 if you acknowledge what happened to you and you realize God's in the middle of this, then Ephesians 4.32 32 says you've got to forgive each other just as in Christ God forgave you. I've received and then I give. One author, <coughs> excuse me, one author put it this way. He says, when you forgive, get that next scripture there. When you forgive, you set the prisoner free. And the prisoner you set free is you. When you forgive, you unlock the doors of the prison so you can walk out. Dr. McMillan is a, S.I. McMillan is a, is a medical doctor, has written some books on, on uh, natural medicine and, and, and ways to be able to heal yourself. And he says this about bitterness and unforgiveness. He says, the moment I start hating a man, I become his slave. He controls my thoughts and my minds. He controls my thoughts and my mind. Bitterness is a depressant. Have you ever met a happy, bitter person? Have you ever met a happy, bitter person? I'll take it farther. Have you ever met a bitter person that you like to hang out with? that you enjoy spending time with them. You know who spends time with bitter people? Other bitter people. And they have a good old time crying on each other's shoulders. That's why the counseling that I'm supposed to do in the counseling office of bitter people it's really, it's probably the toughest counseling I do. Because they're so bitter. I don't know what to do. And, and unless they get rid of that bitterness, we can't move forward. We, we're not going anywhere. And, and they persist in holding on to that. I just throw my hands up. I don't know what to do. I don't know what to say. I don't want to be there. So we finished with 
one of the verses we started with from Hebrews 12, 15. See to it that no one falls short of the grace of God. When you see that caution sign with your spiritual eyes, when you feel that need to be careful, when you feel that tinge of unforgiveness, you feel that tinge of revenge building up in your spirit, giving them back what they deserve, when you feel that, that's the grace of God. Saying, Mark, be careful. Don't persist in this. Right now, it's not a huge issue for you, but if you persist in this, you're going to get to a point with this bitterness that it's going to overwhelm you. Does anybody know what kudzu is? I didn't know what kudzu was before I lived in the South. Kudzu is a plant that grows about a foot a day. Now you can just imagine. Look at that poor old boy. Think how much that's going to grow in a year. Think how much that's going to grow in two years. It overtakes things if you don't do something about it. A foot a day. When Sue and I lived in Georgia, we had a, our district camp was down in South Georgia, and there's kudzu everywhere, man. If you didn't take care of it, it spreads. I found this quote, and I'm not sure of the spiritual condition of President Woodrow Wilson. I've read some things that said that he was a believing man, but this is a spiritual statement. He said, when the root is bitterness, imagine what the fruit might be. When the root is bitterness, imagine, imagine what the fruit might be. I, I just come today to, to tell you that God will be faithful to put a big caution sign in your spiritual eyes when you start feeling some of this in your gut. And I hope by the grace of God you feel it. Why do, you, why do you think so many unbelievers persist in, in, in bitterness and holding things against? Because they don't have the Spirit of God to convict them. Or, or if he's tried to, they're not sensitive enough to him to heed it. To heed it. But as Christians, our hearts should be tender to the things of God. And I shouldn't have some thought that just festers in my spirit without a big caution sign coming up and saying, Mark, be careful how you live. Not as unwise, but as wise, Ephesians 5, 15. And can I say something as I close? And I say this at the risk of offending people because I know some of the stuff you've gone through is tough, and I'm not trying to minimize that at all at all but let me ask you something and let me peel not to your emotion but to your brain 
this was a word that just almost just came out of my mouth and, and I decided not to use it, but maybe I better use it because it's so provocative. How stupid is it to hold on to bitterness? The only person you're hurting is yourself. You're putting yourself in prison. I'm not minimizing what you've been through. I know it was bad. Far worse than I've probably ever been offended or had things to forgive in my life. I know that. But what good does it do you? What, how productive is it? What kind of use of your time is it to sit and stew about something that somebody else has probably already forgotten? Or didn't even know they said. There are people in every single church, there are people that were in every single church in America today that are not in that church today because somebody said something, or the pastor said something, or somebody did something, or the pastor did something, or somebody did something, and they're still holding it against, and everybody else has already forgot what it was. Is that even... Think. And that's why maybe Paul says, be careful how you live. Don't act as unwise, but as wise. And all this, of course, this forgiveness thing is anchored into the forgiveness that God gives us. And so uh, an atheist psychologist could will tell you to forgive, but we have added reason to forgive because we have received it ourselves. I mean, any, any secular psychologist will tell you that you got to let it go. It's eating you up. But a Christian psychologist will say, listen, man, after what Jesus has done for you, how audacious you are, who are you to withhold it from someone else? What are you thinking, man? And so that, that's why for the Christian, there's an added impetus. It's a spiritual thing, so we won't miss the grace of God. Our servers are coming to a table, and we're going to close the service as we normally do. You have an option to receive communion at the tables or you can receive it around the altar if you choose. There's vials in those baskets. You may have grabbed some as you walked in, and you may end up being receiving it in your pews. I'm going to go back and change clothes for the baptism, so I won't be here to lead you through it, those of you that are sitting in your seats. But as you receive the elements and remember what Jesus has done for you, the admonition is now go do that for someone else. And you're doing it for someone else, but you're doing it for yourself. You're unlocking the prison door that you've been a prisoner in for so long. I invite you to come forward.